revival in the home. Uh, let's look at the scriptures up there. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to it, but uh, it's just easier to follow right along with uh, the PowerPoint presentation. Okay, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him, that is the devil and his demonic hordes, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they, that is the saints there up in heaven, did not love their lives to the death. Also Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Father, we praise and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity uh, that we have to listen to your word and for me to uh, uh, preach it. Lord, it's an awesome responsibility for me, and I don't take it lightly. So, Lord, uh, I've uh, prepared this message for your people, and I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay and help me to speak it with uh, fervor, with power, Lord. And, Lord, uh, listen to your Holy Spirit as you guide and direct me as I preach it. And I praise and thank you, Lord, for blessing your word and give us all words to hear, uh, all ears to hear what your spirit would say to uh, the church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're continuing that series on the Calvary Road. And of course, as I've told you before, it's based upon the book, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessen. Roy Hessen was an evangelist in uh, the United Kingdom during the middle of last century. And uh, he uh, got this uh, word by uh, interviewing uh, certain African Christians that had been experiencing revival in their churches on an ongoing basis. You know, normally we thought of revival, well, just last maybe uh, a few years at the most, but the revival kept on continuing. And so he uh, found out by talking to these African Christians how they did it, and how they did it was by this very message, the Calvary Road, putting the cross first. That's what Billy Graham said to uh, uh, Greg Laurie, you know, when he was asked about what he would have been preaching from day one when he was an evangelist, he said, I would be preaching on the cross more. Because the cross, brothers and sisters, is where the power is. That's the power to forgive our sins. The power to change us and make us into the kind of men and women that God wants us to be. And that's why Calvary is so important. Now, chapter 1 that we went through is brokenness. We need to be broken. We need to live broken lives. That means living crucified, living a crucified life. 
The Apostle Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. And also in uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said to his disciples and to all of us, all of us should be disciples. Amen? Amen. Are you a disciple? Well, if you're a Christian, you don't just become a Christian and just stay there. You're to be a disciples. You should be growing in the faith day by day. And the way you do that is living this crucified living. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. How often? Daily. And not just daily. Hourly. Minutely. Every second, every second we're to live that crucified life. That's the key. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would uh, uh, save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's he mean? He says you lose your life. That means, that doesn't mean you just die. It means you die to your self-will. And you say with him, as he said to his uh, father in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. That's the kind of attitude that we are to have as Christians. Chapter 2, with cups running over, cup refers to the human heart. Our human hearts are be, to be filled, you know, back in those days they would fill up cups mostly with water or wine. Both of those are symbols of the Holy Spirit. And that's what David was talking about in Psalm 23, verse 5, from which that chapter's name was taken out. My cup runs over, that it is filled up to the brimming over with the Holy Spirit. Why isn't it just filled up to the top? God wants it to be filled up to brimming over so that it spills out through your life to those around you. And they see the reality of Jesus Christ. They see the reality of God and the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3 was the way of fellowship. As the fall, uh, fall of man, fellowship was broken. Another word for fellowship there is communion. God wants you to commune with Him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice, I will open the door and <clears throat> sup, uh, and will open the door. I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Communion, fellowship with the Lord. That was broken at the fall. And God's cure for that is walking in the light. First John chapter 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We have communion one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing us from every sin. Amen? Amen. Okay.
So that's the way you have fellowship with God. And more important, just as I shouldn't say more importantly, but almost as importantly, is we have fellowship, we have communion one with another. If we walk in light, what did they say walking in light meant? It meant that you bear your whole being to the Lord and let the searchlight of His Holy Spirit illuminate the dark recesses of your heart. Show you where there is a spot or blemish. And we should be doing that every day, opening up our hearts to the Lord. Chapter 4 was the highway of holiness. And I was asking the terminology came from Isaiah chapter 35 verses 8 and 9. And that particular passage says that no, uncle, no one unclean can walk on it. So it's not for the Christian I mean, it's not for the non-Christian to walk this highway of holiness. It's for the Christian only. The unclean are those that have not washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They haven't received Jesus' gift, free gift of forgiveness for their sins. There's neither going to be either lions or ravenous beasts. We saw that a lion is a symbol of what? Set The devil. He said, uh, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. The ravenous beast refers to the people that are out there that are false prophets trying to lead people astray. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you as <clears throat> sheep, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They're always looking for people to lead astray into false doctrine. And I ended that uh, uh, message two weeks ago with uh, describing holiness as it's found in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah saw the throne room of God. He saw God high and lifted up. Train of his robe filled the temple. And he fell to his knees and said, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, and I am undone. He was convicted of his sin just by the mere sight of God on his throne room. And you know what, brothers and sisters, that's going to happen to every one of us. You know that? One of these days, we are going to face God, and we are going to need to give an account of our lives before Him. So it's better to be convicted now and get your act together than to face Him in the day of judgment. And also, Exodus chapter 3 it talks about when uh, Moses saw the Lord in the burning bush, the Lord spoke to him and said, Take off your shoes, for you are standing on holy ground. Last week we covered the dove and the lamb, and th those two uh, animals speak to us of the meekest animals on God's earth. The dove speaks of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, just like a dove, is e easily startled. It's easily grieved. And so we need to take care that we are walking in that light, lest we do something that would offend the Holy Spirit and He depart from us. And the Lamb is the of Jesus, the Lamb of God, 
who meekly accepted his faith, fate, that is the death on the cross. And both of these were spoken of at the baptism of Jesus, right? Jesus was the Lamb of God. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was baptized by John. And what happened? It says that the heavens were opened up. The Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the dove came out and lighted uh, the dove of the Holy Spirit came down and set itself upon his head. Okay, now this week we're going to talk about revival in the home. I'm probably going to step on a few toes here, so please get ready for it. Let's begin with the definition of these ter two terms so that we are clear. What do we mean by revival and what do we mean by the home? Well, first of all, revival, according to Hessian, simply means new life in hearts where the spiritual life has ebbed. It is not a new life of self-effort or self-initiated activity. So skip with the self-improvement and the self-help books. Amen? This is your self-help book right here. Amen? I don't need, I never work, I, I never read any of these self-help books. I don't need it. I just need the word of God in my life. Amen. Okay. So, it's not a matter of uh, self-effort or self-initiated activity. It is not man's life, but God's life. The life of Jesus filling us and flowing through us. That life is manifested in fellowship and oneness. With those with whom we live. Not with it, just God, but with those that we live with. That, that we'll see is, is talking about the home. Nothing between us and God and nothing between us and others. The home. By the home we mean the relationship between husband and wife, parents with children, siblings with each other, or between any others who through Various circumstances are compelled to live with each other. And I was thinking about this, brothers and sisters. You know, the uh, home is a microcosm of the world of humanity in general, especially those within the church. You know, we talk here about our church family, don't we? Talk a lot about the church family. We're all family here, brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all children of the Lord Jesus Christ if we know Him as our personal Lord and Savior. Okay? Now, the church, that is the uh, body of uh, family of redeemed people. You know, our, you know, our homes especially. In our homes especially, we should be reflecting the glory of the Lord. And we should especially be strong. You know, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I, I was a w slide behind. Okay, uh, you know, never mind those that are outside the church. And you know what? This is what Satan is trying to do right now. He is trying to completely collapse the American society through his attacks on the home. It's happening right now. 
And anybody that watches the news can see this. You know, a couple of examples of this. Let's take, for example, the black family unit. Now, I know that nobody here is African-American. But uh, you see, something happened about uh, a little over 50 years ago, about 60 years ago. Uh, you know, the president at the time, Lyndon Baines Johnson, decided to, he was going to uh, have what he called the Great Society. Well, what did the, this Great Society turn out to be? Well, basically, it was a, an attempt to turn this nation into a welfare state. And many people have taken advantage. And this is not to knock on the uh, black people of this nation, but it seems like many of them really took advantage of it. And what happened? Many young black women found it fashionable to be married to the state, to the, uh, uh, to the American government. And what happened? They started getting uh, uh, pregnant and having children out of wedlock. Did you know that 75% of uh, black children today, I've heard it said, are born out of wedlock? And that's terrible, a terrible thing to happen. Because these young black children grow up in the home without a father figure. And so what do they do? Especially the, the problem is with the uh, uh, young black boys. They find no male role model in the home, so they go out into the streets and they find it there. And you know what their uh, role models are? The gangbangers and the drug dealers. And that's why black on black crime has skyrocketed over the years. You know, if a, uh, a white policeman uh, has the misfortune of killing a, a black man, a young black man, oh, you know, the, it's all over the news. But did you know probably a hundred, for every black man that is killed by a white police officer, maybe there may be as much as a hundred of them are killed by black and black uh, crime. That's the, the, the horrible truth. And it grieves me because I, I always say, you know, black people are born in the image of God. They are our equal. We're all born in the image of God. Every human being is born in the Im image of God. And that's what the, uh, you know, uh, Founding fathers tried to set up when they wrote into the uh, Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. Fortunately, it took almost uh, uh, two centuries for that really to become a reality with the civil rights movement. But, you know, and, and much is made these days about slavery. What a horrendous thing it was back uh, 150 years ago. And it was. It was horrendous. It was a terrible thing. And one of the most, uh, you know, horrendous aspects of it was the fact that there was a separation of uh, families. The slave owner decided to sell off some of the children. And then the, uh, uh, the husband and the wife would never see those children again. So the black family unit was being split up. But the same thing is happening today. 
You know this Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, Matter uh, movement that started up? That was written into their, you know, one of the things that they wanted to do. They wanted to abolish the nuclear family. The nuclear family is what holds the fabric of society together. And if we lose that, we're going to lose our American society. Another thing that you hear these days is the Democrats come up and they say, well, uh, uh, vote for us and we'll make sure that you young mothers, that you have free, health, uh, free uh, daycare. You know, we'll take care of your children. You can go and work and do, uh, uh, you know, accomplish your dreams. We'll take care of the kids. Now, if you haven't figured out what's behind that, you know, I'll explain it to you. What's behind that is they want to have the children in these daycare centers so they can indoctrinate them into Marxism. They want to teach them all about CRT, critical race theory, which says basically if you're white, you are an oppressor. If you're a person of color, then you're the oppressed. You've been oppressed. And so what it does is it teaches us to uh, you know, be at odds with each other based on our skin color. And that's not the way that God wanted it. It's not the way that Martin Luther King did either. He said that he had a dream one day when his children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their color, uh, their, their, uh, their uh, character. So he wanted a colorblind society. And that's what I want too, brothers and sisters. You know, where there's no uh, black or white uh, or red or yellow, but we're all one in the body of Christ. That's what God wants. Amen? Amen. Okay. So they, these uh, daycare centers, they want to teach the children, you know, critical race theory. And now the latest thing, and it's, it's the most abominable thing around, is they want to teach them this radical gender ideology. You know, you see a uh, young boy and maybe he's displaying some female characteristics or you have a girl that's a tomboy and they'll say, are you sure you're a boy or a girl? Doesn't matter what uh, uh, sex, you know, uh, at birth that you were born with. They try to convince them. And if they, they bite on it, then they feed them puberty blockers. And then later on, they even perform genital mutilation. You know, I was uh, uh, reading a story of a young uh, girl. She's 18 now. But they convinced her about uh, uh, that maybe, uh, you know, she was actually a boy. So they fed her puberty blockers, and then later on they gave her a, a double mastectomy. And now she's 18, and she looks at her body, and she realizes how deceived she was. Don't let people tell you that they are going to be happy. And they're going to try to feed this to our small children through these daycare centers. You don't have to be a genius to, to figure it out. Again, what's it doing? It's breaking down the family unit. And the cure for that, as we're going to see, is the revival in the home. Hallelujah. How am I doing? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, 
lost my place there. I got uh, <laughs> preaching away. Okay. The first thing that's really wrong within the, you know, what, what's wrong with our homes? The first thing that's really wrong in the homes within the church is that they are not really open to one another. The other members of the home don't know us for who we really are, and we do not intend that they should be. In fact, we have a tendency to hide ourselves from each other, even in the home. How I many you know what I mean? We hide ourselves. It's true in even the most intimate relationships. So, my question to you is simply, are you honest and open with your family members and others within your home? Or are you hiding who you are from them? Even those who live in the most intimate relationships with us in the home do not know what's really going inside of us. Do your family members really know what's going inside of you? You know, what your difficulties are, the battles you're experiencing, your failures, or what the Lord Jesus Christ has to cleanse from you most frequently. This lack of transparency with each other is the result of sin. Our first, what happened with our first parents? Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about having fellowship. What happened? When our first parents sinned at the fall, what did they do? They ran and hid from God. And it was a, a matter, only a matter of time before they started hiding from each other too. And we have a tendency, brothers and sisters, to use masks. You know what I mean? We don't want people to know who we really are. So, problem one is we are not being real with each other. And the result is there's no real fellowship together because it's impossible to have fellowship with an unreal person. Amen? You understand what I mean? This is what is meant by walking in darkness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says, If we say we have no sin, we lie and do not do the truth. We walk in darkness and do not do the truth. Darkness hides. Light reveals. The other th problem is not only that we're being unreal with each other and hiding from each other. The other thing is we have a failure to love. Now before I explain exactly what I mean by that, let's do some uh, definitions. Okay, now I shared, I shared this with you before, I don't remember when it was, probably uh, maybe a few years ago, but some of you are here and didn't hear me talk about this. But basically, to define love, take a look at the Greek culture. You know, they have a saying, the Greeks ha uh, have a word for it. In other words, theirs was a more precise language than what we have here with English. Okay, so they had four different words. I remember 
Back when I uh, got back from uh, Thailand the first time, I was in the Air Force, and I came back in the year 1975, and I went to work back at my old job with uh, Safeway stores. And one of the uh, uh, checkers there was a woman by the name of Evelyn. I think she was in her late 40s, something like that at, at that point. And she'd been uh, married several times. I don't know how many times. But she had a tendency to kind of flit from one man to another, too. And I was, uh, I was just getting it together with my Christian life after being really backslidden, you know, when I was in the service. And uh, I was talking to her about God. I was witnessing to her. And she, uh, uh, you know, I kind of touched a nerve with her or something like that. I, you know, she wasn't hostile, but she was open to what I had to say. But she says, I don't, just don't understand how you can uh, uh, love God. You know, can you make love to the cross? That's what she said. And, you know, I immediately recognized, like I said, I was just getting together with the Lord, but I realized right there, then and there, that she was identifying love on the lowest plane. She was identifying love with the Eros love. Eros is the romantic, it, it can be the romantic love, but of course, uh, you know, this is the, where our word uh, erotic comes from, and eroticism, from this Greek word eros. And it meant love in the sensual realm. You'd also use, use that same word to say, well, I love uh, 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 iced Thai tea, you know, or something like that. I love eating uh, this particular food or drinking this particular thing. It's the love on the lowest plane, the physical plane. And then there's the uh, word uh, storge, which is love between family members. This is often more of a love out of a sense of duty rather than feelings. You ever heard that expression, blood is thicker than water? In other words, you give preference to the members of your family over, uh, over those that are not part of your family. Or, you know, you, you, you have to stand up and defend one of your family members, even though you know that your family member may be wrong. Why? Because he's your brother or your sister or your child. You know, or you can be blind to their faults. Storge, the love between family members. Now those two words, eros and storge, are never used in the New Testament. Instead, the, there's these other two words, which uh, uh, one of them is phileo. Phileo means love between friends. To the point that your friends can be closer to you, and you have more love for them than you do for your own family members. Okay? Everybody heard of uh, Philadelphia? What does Philadelphia mean? Come on. The city of brotherly love, right? That comes from phileo. You know, brotherly love. In other words, you love somebody, you love a friend to the point that he's like your brother or your sister. Okay? But the last one is agape. Agape love is the highest form of love. It is an unconditional love, or it is a love by choice. You know, I remember hearing uh, these really great sermons on agape love, and how, you know, agape love is 
God's love for us, how he loves us unconditionally. And, you know, the uh, corollary to that is we need to love each other with the agape love too, with that unconditional love, because that's God's love. Now, there's one thing about the agape love, you know, that the, the thing is, that is not entirely true. It's not just God's love. It's the love that we have too. You know, it talks about for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's agape used right there. You read through uh, the book of 1 John and he talks about loving each other. Love, how God loves us. Every time, just about every time in there, it's that agape love that is being used. But it's not just between, you know, God's love. It's also man's love, too. Because if you read John chapter 3, verse 19, you know what it says? This is condemnation. That light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light. Loved darkness. That's the agape love there too. So agape love is unconditional love. and not, It's not based on the merits of the things that you are loving. So you can see what that verse means. The alcoholic loves his bottle. The drug addict loves his needle. The porno addict, the sex addict loves his pornography. You know, they say that uh, if you look at pornography on the internet, it changes your brain. Because when you look at it, it uh, produces dopamine, that pleasure drug, and it actually uh, ch changes your brain. That's why it's so hard to break. But in, in, in every case, these people that love these things, it's the agape love, and it's a love by choice. Those things are destroying their lives. But they still love them anyway. So the idea is, and you know what, I see this agape love as part of the image of God that is God has placed in each of us. We all have the capacity to love unconditionally, the agape love. The thing is, we need to channel that agape love into the places that it should be channeled. Love for God and love for each other. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Kind of a real touching story. If you read the uh, uh, post-resurrection uh, account by uh, John in John chapter 21. John talks about the restoration of uh, Peter. And uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. And so what did Jesus do? He got him to confess him three times too. He says to him, Peter, do you love, do you agape me more than these? That is because Peter was you know, he, I guess he he kind of given up at that point. He said, okay, the Lord's ra raised up, you know, but I'm going to go back to fishing. I'm going to go back to my former way of life. And J Jesus said, do you love me? Do you agape more, me more than these? That is your old profession. And he used agape there. And then Peter answers him and says, uh, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he used the phileo word. I love you like a friend. 
Then Jesus said to him again, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter is getting a little bit antsy right here. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a friend. And then Jesus asked him the third time, Peter, do you love me like a friend? And this is why it says that, that Peter was grieved, especially grieved. You know, this is in verse uh, 17 of John 21. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? In other words, do you really, do you really love me even like a friend? So he condescended to Peter and went that back to his lower form of loving, the phileo loving. And he said to him, Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know, you know that I love you like a friend. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Each time he made his confession, uh, Peter's, uh, uh, Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and then feed my sheep. Okay, so there's kind of a, a play on words right there that you don't get, in, uh, you know, without knowing the Greek text. But it reflects the, the difference between these two things. It's not a love that's based on feeling, which the phileo love is, but it's a based on a choice. Something that you choose to do. You choose to love God, and you choose to love each other. Doesn't mean that we're lovable. You know, when you come down to it, mo uh, most of us, in fact, all of us really, in, we all have our little idiosyncrasies. We're not really worthy of unconditional love. But that's the way that we should be loving each other. Okay. Let me go on ahead and say what I was going to say about uh, the failure to love is a problem in the home. The other main failure in our Christian homes is the failure to love one another fully as Christ loves us. Many people think that this is not a problem with them in their homes. They say, you know, Pastor Cliff, nobody could love me more than my husband, and I love him more than anybody else, and we love our children so very much. But is this really true? Do we really use that agape love? Now, how does your love, your agape love, stack up to this? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not, not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So, the question I have, brothers and sisters, for you is, how is your love in your home? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, which I just read, is another list of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, I've talked a lot about Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. What is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23? 
says the fruit of the Spirit. You notice it says fruit of the Spirit. You know, so many people misunderstand that. They think, it, they talk about the fruits of the Spirit. You ever hear people say the fruits of the Spirit? Doesn't say that though. It says the fruit of the Spirit. There's only one fruit. You know what that one fruit is? That one fruit is love. And I've pointed this out to you before. All the rest of those things that you get, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the goodness, the patience, all those come from love. You can't have joy without first having love. You can't have true peace without first having love. Okay? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, talk about love. And it talks about what love is and what it is not. You know, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, those manifestations of the fruit are all positive, right? They're all things that we really want in our life. But 1 Corinthians 13 gives you 15 manifestations of the fruit and some of them, in fact over half of them, I counted up 15 of them when I was going through this yesterday. I counted 15 in there and did you know that half, over half of them, eight of them are negative. It tells you what love is not. So you go through those. Love is patient and kind. Are you always patient and kind? With your beloved, the members in your home? Are you always patient and kind with them? Yep. Are you kind with them and the way you react when they do something that displeases you? Or are you out of control? You just fly off the handle about things. Love does not envy. Are you envious of those that are in your home? And I think siblings are especially susceptible to this. Brother and sister, you know. You ever heard of sibling rivalry? You know what I mean? We want to be better than our brother and sister. Or maybe we think that we're, you know, uh, <clears throat> getting, uh, the other one's getting more attention and we envy and we're jealous. Love does not boast. You know, I was uh, when I thought about this matter of boasting, I recalled the uh, uh, verse, Proverbs uh, 27, verse 2. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Okay? So often we want to boast. Oh, I'm better than him, or I'm better than her. You know, this is what the salvation of... Uh, uh, belief in the salvation of works does. It makes you boast. You know, I met a Jehovah's Witness the other day and he, he and his wife came from my sa the same hometown that I'm from, El Cajon, California, suburb of San Diego. But anyway, uh, I invited him to come out to church and he said, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. You know what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe? They believe that they can obtain salvation by knocking on uh, so many doors and setting up all these Bible studies with the people there. 
You ever stop to think of what uh, uh, heaven or their version of eternal life, they believe that they're going to live forever in happiness on earth. You ever wonder what it would be like to be there? How did you get here? Oh, I knocked on 4,000 doors during my lifetime. Oh, I set up 100 different Bible studies at these different homes. And they're, you know, you're, they're comparing each other with, the, uh, uh, you know, with the, themselves with each other. Depending on, you know, whose was uh, greater, you know. Not me. People ask me why I'm in heaven. I'll tell them because Jesus died for me. Amen. That's why Paul said, I, I will boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not going to boast in my works. I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why I will be there. Okay, love is not proud. I'm trying to wrap things up here rapidly. Love is not proud. Pride, you know, there's that uh, scripture in uh, Proverbs uh, 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the question, you know, another way to uh, put this is, you know, as far as to be as the King James Version in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not puffed up. Or pride is also concerned... To, Another way that we can consider uh, pride is to be conceited. And this is manifested in uh, many different ways. We, here's one way. We think we know best. You ever think about that? Well, I know best. I know how to do that job. You know, I know what's best for you. Now, in many cases, you know, of course, you, you're, you're a parent. You need to correct your children. You know, you need to show them the way. But so often with husband and wife, you know, we want our own way, so we nag and boss our mates. Nagging and bossing leads us to that attitude or that feeling of superiority over them. We even begin to despise them, and then we blame them if things aren't right, at least in our way of thinking of being right. Another thing in 1 Corinthians is it seeks it not its own. So... I'm asking you is, uh, love is not seeking your own. Now, seeking your own, isn't that the, just the essence of feeling selfish? How many times in our home we put our own wishes and interests above others? It's not easily provoked. How often this is manifested in our homes. We become irritated, our fellow home members, and the unkind thought or the resentful fe feeling happens at something that is said or done or left undone. Okay, I'm trying to wrap things up here. Okay, the way out of this mess. What do I mean by mess? I mean dysfunctional homes. You ever hear of dysfunctional homes? You ever heard that expression? Well, I'm a mess. My life is a mess because I grew up in a dysfunctional home. As if that was the excuse that you could give. It's not an excuse. It's a rationalization, a plausible but untrue way of reasoning, you know, that you are the way you are. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter the way, who you, the way you are right now. Jesus can transform you. Amen? Amen. 
Jesus can change and transform you no matter how much of a mess you've made your life. Okay, so I'm talking about this. And and you know, when you come down to it, all homes are dysfunctional, right? They all got something that's wrong with them. And if you're honest, you can't say, well, my home is perfect. All of us have dysfunctional homes. You know why? Because we're dysfunctional people. Amen? How many of you know I'm preaching the truth? We're dysfunctional people. And dysfunctional people get together, you're going to have a dysfunctional home. Some are more dysfunctional than others. I'll grant you that. The way out is to have revival in the home. And revival... (coughs) Excuse me. Revival in the home begins with you. Everybody say that. Revival in the home begins with me. Begins with me. Now I'm speaking especially to the men in this congregation now. You notice in those opening scriptures, I quoted Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 29. Okay. Husbands, love your wives. Amen? I didn't go into the women. I'm dealing with the men right now. Because men, I'm telling you, especially if you want revival in your home, it's got to start with you. Women can be revived on their own, but the main thing is for you as the leader of the home and the priest of the home to get it started. When Dolly and I got married, you know, she'd been uh, saved for uh, uh, something like uh, uh, 35 years at that point. But she didn't really know that much about the Bible because she hadn't really been taught to read it. So the very first thing that we did when we got married is I said, we're going to have family devotions. And every night before we go to bed, we read the Bible and then we have a time of prayer together. Pray for the people that are right here in this congregation. Okay? Men are called to agape their lives. Love them unconditionally. So, you know, you have to challenge your own heart about this. The rest of what I'm going to say concerns the women too. But I'm talking to you men, especially right now. You need to search your heart and be ready to take the necessary uh, steps. Then the first step is to call sin, sin. Don't rationalize it. That is your sin, not the other person in your family or your home. Stop trying to change others. You can't change them. Only God can change them. And God can only change them when they're willing to change. So you need to pray and ask God to make them willing to change. Stop trying to change others. Try to change yourself instead. You go to the cross with it and trust Jesus to cleanse you from it as he has promised. And as you bow your head to him and kneel at the uh, foot of that cross... In a spiritual way, of course, I'm talking about. His long-suffering and forbearance will flow into your heart and you will be able to demonstrate it to others as well. 
His precious blood will cleanse you from your unloving attitude towards others and be filled with the very nature of Christ, which is the fruit of the, with the, the fruit of the Spirit is all about. Okay, I'm going to try to wrap up this real quick. Okay, I know I'm kind of late here. Hessian writes, All this will definitely commit us to walking the way of the cross in our homes. And what, isn't this what the whole series, The Calvary Road, is all about? It's all about being broken and going to the cross, going to Jesus. Again and again, we will see ways we need to, to yield up our rights as Christ Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't demand his rights when he went to the cross, did he? We shall have to see the thing that reacts so sharply to another's pride and selfish. You know, the thing that makes us react so sharp, sharply to their pride and selfishness is our own pride and selfishness. Go back to my illustration about losing fellowship. You've got eight billion people in this world milling about doing their own thing and they're going to step on each other's toes. Which we are ourselves unwilling to sacrifice. We can then recognize that if a family member in our home gets under our skin, it is often God's way of breaking us. Think about that. There are little idiosyncrasies that get under your skin. Maybe that's God of trying to break you of your own self-will. Brokenness is the heart is the opposite of hardness. Hardness says, it's your fault. Brokenness says, it's my fault. And let's remember at the cross, there's room for only one. I'll say that again. Think about it. At the foot of the cross, there is room for only one. Again, you take care of yourself. You cannot say, I was wrong, but you were wrong too. You must come too. You must come to the cross too. You take care of you and let God take care of the other person. Amen? So, concluding thoughts. You take care of business with yourself and let God deal with the other person. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul was dealing with a problem within the Corinthian church. You know what that problem was? It's the beginning of chapter 6, if you want to read it. They were having disputes within the church. With each other. You know what they were doing? They couldn't solve, seem to solve the problem. The church couldn't seem to do the, uh, solve the problem. So you know what they were doing? They were going to the civil authorities and letting them settle it. And Paul was very peeved at this. And he said to themselves, you know, which in essence, you're dragging the church of God, the name of Jesus, into the mud. Can't you solve this within the church? And then he says here something that's always stuck with me. He says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's, then he, he says, Now therefore it is a, a, already an utter failure for you that go to law against one another. Then he says, li listen to this, Why do you not rather accept wrong? Even if the other person's in the wrong, why don't you just accept that? 
you know, give it to, to the Lord. Why do you not let yourselves rather be cheated? And the same thing is true in your house, too. If Paul would say that to the entire church, how much more does the same principle apply to us in the home? And you know what? If every one of us would follow the agape love that's described there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, you know, we wouldn't have these problems in the home. So let's remember that. Let's love each other unconditionally. And let's take all these things that are going on, take it to the foot of the cross and let him handle it. Okay, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm done here. Uh, if you would uh, cue up that uh, final uh, uh, song there, Susie. Show
song he talks about as I you know I open uh, my eyes to the work of your hands you know so often we think of you know uh, he's talking about creation the creation is the work of his hands the Grand Canyon Bryce Canyon all these majestic places around here that we live in but it's not just talking about creation it's talking about the work of his hand in your life and in your home's life Amen? Amen. Revival in the home. That's what it's all about. Let him work that revival in your, uh, uh, your home. And it starts with you. In my life, your will be done. Hallelujah. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that uh, you've given us the key. And so often we have really dysfunctional homes and Lord, it not, ought not to be because we are of the church. We are the family of the redeemed. And Lord, we will truly manifest that redemption, Lord, when we learn to love each other with that agape, that unconditional love. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to carry this message with us, Lord, and put it into practice in our homes. I thank you for this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.